Hi, you're listening to the Raise the Vibe with Liz podcast. I'm your host, Liz Peterson. I interview today's inspirational speakers and healers. Thank you for listening to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Raise the Vibe with Liz. I'm your host, Liz Peterson, and today I'm pleased to have Julie Ryan with me. Julie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just delighted to be here. Such a pleasure. Looking forward to this interview. We have a lot in common. Fellow healer, so I'm going to go ahead and read Julie's bio to you guys. Psychic and medical intuitive Julie Ryan can sense what medical conditions and illnesses a person has and facilitate energetic healings. She can communicate with spirits both alive and dead. Julie can scan animals, access people's past lives, and remove ghosts from homes and other buildings. And she can tell how close to death someone is. Her book, Angelic Attendance, What Really Happens After We Transition from This Life into the Next, describes a series of events that involves angels, multitudes of deceased family and friends, the spirits of deceased pets, and countless serendipitous and miraculous moments. Julie's children's books, Angel Messages for Kids and Angel Messages for Dogs, are picture books that have angels answering kids' tough questions. Each week, Julie scans callers on her Ask Julie Ryan podcast, which is heard by millions in over 100 countries throughout the world. Julie is a businesswoman, an inventor, an author, a podcaster, and a serial entrepreneur. Her surgical device invitation Inventions are sold globally, and she has founded nine companies in five different industries. Julie's psychic and medical intuitive skills are learned. Great. So let's start there. I was listening to your book today. It's fantastic, everybody. You have to read it. Such a plethora of information and fun moments. And like you said, miraculous stories. So why don't you go ahead and share Mm -hmm. with everybody those learned, you know, where did that start? How did you learn it? What was your journey to what you're doing right now? Well, about 30 years ago, really, I had a friend give me a book called Anatomy of the Spirit by Carolyn Mays. And she called herself a medical intuitive. And I thought, what the heck is that? I'd never heard that term before. And I read her book and enjoyed it. And I had been in the medical supply industry my whole career and was my whole career, even when I had companies in different industries going simultaneously. And as you mentioned, I'm an inventor of surgical devices. So what's a medical intuitive? And back then we didn't have internet yet, Liz. So I did the old fashioned thing and I went to a bookstore. I went to a Barnes and Noble to see if anything else was around, you know, was available. I thought they'd probably have more, more of a, a uh, selection than the library. And so I went to the bookstore and I found Hands of Light by Barbara Brennan. And Barbara Brennan is a former NASA physicist who parlayed very complex quantum physics principles into layman terms and layman lingo that a non-scientific mind could understand. And her book is all about energy healing. And I wanted to know more from there. And I called her school, which at the time was on Long Island. And I said, do you have anybody in my area that's teaching this stuff? And lo and behold, they did. And I studied with this woman for six years and she's still a dear friend and a mentor. And now I teach people all over the world how to do all this stuff that I do. So 
I say I'm a businesswoman who learned how to do woo woo and I'm a buffet of psychicness. <laughs> so that's how it works. <laughs> that's awesome. And I loved your journey because it's really akin to mine. I too, in my early twenties found Carolyn Mace, Barbara Brennan, Rosalind Brer. Very fan, you know, it's really, in- was really interesting listening to you going, oh my gosh, it's like the yeah. same path and how wonderful to find Barbara Brennan and Hands of Light. And I too found one of her students who she gave permission to teach on the West Coast Yeah, at the time and did her four-year program. And it was so fascinating. So mm-hmm. tell our audience some of the things that you learned while you were in school. Well, actually, I was telling somebody, because I spent the equivalent of getting an MD or a PhD, I don't know about you, Liz, yeah. but it, it was thousands and thousands, many thousands of dollars to do this. And now I teach it in four Saturdays, two hours on a Saturday. People say, well, how can that be? And I say, well, it's like anything. It was 40 years ago when she came up with those techniques, you know, fast forward 40 years, it's kind of like, we used to use carrier pigeons to communicate. And then we <laughs> used, you know, we used uh, horseback writers and then we went to the mail and now we have the internet and it, and you know and the computers and everything it just advances and so I, I learned about energy fields I learned about this this was primarily about healing things and what I what I found and experienced and what I teach my students now from all over the world is you connect to spirit and then you can take it anywhere you want you know, we can scan you medically, do an energetic healing. We could talk to your dead grandma. I can scan your cat. We can do past lives. We could, it's a blast because it's spirit working through me and with me. Same with you. And people say, you seem like you have so much fun doing this stuff. And I said, well, it's because it is fun. It's based in love. And, you know, spirit is fun. Spirit is based in love and it's joyful and it's fun. And, and I don't worry about editing any information I get, because I believe whatever I get, I'm supposed to share. I'm just the conduit spirit working through me and with me. Yes, I agree. I resonate with that. So when you say scan, can you describe to our audience what you mean? Sure. I watch, I close my eyes. I raise my vibrational level to level of spirit because we're all spirits attached to a body having a human experience. I'm sure all of your listeners have probably heard that before. And so I raise my vibrational level. I turn it on and off at will. Don't walk around scanning people because I don't think that's ethical. And I close my eyes and I watch a laser beam come from my head. I live in Birmingham, Alabama. So it's going to go directionally wherever the person is, if they're somewhere in the U.S. or if they're abroad. I mean, people say, well, I need, do I need to be in a certain place? I say, you could be on Mars. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, my energy laser beam is going to find you. And then I have a hologram of them in my mind's eye. And it's as if I'm looking at an X-ray or a CT scan or an MRI. And then three things happen very quickly. Number one, something's identified. Immediately thereafter, Liz, there's some type of energetic healing that will begin that can take the form of something getting added, something getting removed. I watch procedures all the time that emulate what I saw in operating rooms for decades when I was in, in there, you know, try and prototypes of new inventions and train insurgents and training reps and stuff like that. Sometimes I see healings that utilize methodologies and devices that haven't been invented yet. 
but I'm very descriptive with what I'm seeing in my mind's eye because my client, whether it's somebody who's called into my weekly radio show, I have a syndicated weekly radio show that we, we remove the commercials and, and release as a podcast as well. Uh, whether it's somebody who's called into the show or whether I'm working with a private client, I want them to be able to envision what I'm seeing or at least get a sense of it because if they can, it's going to help integrate the healing into their body. And then the third thing I do is I look at what I call their energy field membrane. And that's the container that holds the energy that makes up our body and our spirit. And it reminds me of really thin, stretchy saran wrap the kind that you'd see on a tray of chicken breast from the grocery store. You know, that stuff's thinner than maybe the glad wrap in the box that's in our kitchen drawer. And when there's a tear or hole in that, it's allowing an energy leak. Energy leaks always precede any kind of medical condition. And they're caused by an emotional event, which in turn causes an energy block. I'll let Eastern medicine, acupressure, acupuncture, clear the block, get the chi to move, that whole concept. So I'll envision myself going into that terror hole and I'm shown a scene and I'm given what the year is. If it's past life, I'll be given where it was, when it was, and then we'll correlate it with their current life. As soon as we illuminate it, it eradicates the block, allows that membrane to heal, allows the body to go back to working on full power, which enables the body to heal and maintain health. So at the end of the day, I don't believe I heal anybody. Nobody heals anybody. Uh, hang on, my battery's running low on my computer. I forgot to plug it in. Sorry about that. I'm glad I got a notice on that. Holy, holy Moses. There we go. No, they were back. Uh, I, I think of myself as like a tugboat captain. You know, you're the ship and I'm going to guide the ship into the harbor safely. And because no doctor, no surgeon, no medical provider, no energy worker is going to heal somebody else. It's all there. We're guiding people to heal themselves. And it's always our, our spirit's prerogative to utilize a healing or not to help facilitate whatever it is we're exploring in this lifetime. So that's my take on it. Wonderful. That's a great description. And I love how everything that you did in the beginning led up to what you're doing now, like all of those right. inventions and working in the medical field in a yeah. way around it gave you all of the knowledge needed to be able to really look within and see what you needed to see. Well, and an anal I talk in analogies a lot because it gives our human minds a frame of reference for all this woo-woo stuff. And my analogies sometimes are really hilarious. Like I may tell you a body part looks like a bowl of whipped cream or something crazy <laughs> like that, but it's just so you can get a quick visual. And an analogy I use for all of this is imagine going to the pet store and buying a goldfish. They're going to put it in a plastic bag of water in order for you to get it home. So if you have a picture of that in your mind's eye, the goldfish represents our body, the water represents our spirit because our spirit is in, is the main part of us and the body's inside the spirit. And then the plastic bag represents the energy field membrane. So if there's a pinhole in that plastic bag and water's draining out a drop at a time, for a long time, that fish is gonna be just fine. But when enough water drains out, that fish is gonna be in trouble. And that's the same as I perceive what happens to the human body over time. There's always that energy leak that precedes any kind of medical condition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I love your analogies. And I like the one where you're describing energy. And then you gave reference to, we make phone calls, everything in our daily lives. Let's see, 
what was it? Microwaves. Yeah, the microwave yeah. and everything. So Bluetooth. That because yeah. I like that from your book. Can you give that analogy to our listeners? Yeah, well, we all think we're, we've become so proof-based. You know, we want to see proof of everything to make sure that it's really happening. Well, how many of us have satellite TV? Well, can you see the, the energy that's coming from the satellite to your dish on top of your home that's powering your TV? Can you see how that works? No. Do we need to know how it works? No. We just want to know that it works. Same with microwaves. Same with, you know, cell phones. We're, we're talking via Wi-Fi. And, uh, you know, how fabulous is that, that we have access to people all over the world through this technology? And as a result, we, we don't understand how the energy healing and how being able to connect with spirit and communicate with deceased loved ones works, but we know that it works because we get validation for it. Yes. And then when you're scanning someone and you're looking at all these things, how do different illnesses show up in the body for you? Well, I, it's like, I'm looking at, it's like, I'm a human MRI. I can see broken bones, torn ligaments. They look like what they look like on the x-rays or the MRIs. Uh, cancer looks to me like black spots that you'd see on the side of a dairy cow, a white dairy cow. Looks like somebody threw a glob of black paint on the side of them. You know, it's just splotches. And, and when it, I see it in multiple places throughout the body, it's metastasized. Uh, depression looks like gray fog over the frontal lobes of the brain. Inflammation looks like red fog. Anti-inflammatory energy looks like kind of a royal blue color to get it calmed down. I mean, I see pretty much any kind of illness and it looks to me like it looks on the scans that you'd get at the doctor's office. So I believe the work that I do very much complements Western medicine and even Eastern medicine for that matter. and it's a facilitator, you know, it, I'm the facilitator. I'm helping the person heal through multiple modalities. If you will, you may, if you have my knee, my husband just got a new knee three weeks ago. So his modalities are, he's doing physical therapy, you know, right after surgery he was on medication. He had the surgery and I'm zapping on him and my my graduates are zapping on him so energetically. So his surgeon's so funny, Liz, every time we see him, and this is his second knee in four months. I tease wow. him and I say, I'm glad you're out of knees. I'm glad you're not a caterpillar with like 18 knees. <laughs> and, but the surgeon says to me, every time I see him, he's, he, he'll say, ah, can you go home with all my patients? I'll say, no, sorry. I got enough with this one, right. but he's read my book. So it's given him a new understanding of the energy medicine component or the energy healing component that can facilitate his patient's healing. Wonderful. Oh, I wish more physicians would do that. That's fantastic to merge the two. That was- well, I have a lot of physicians send clients, send patients to me Great from all over the country. Yeah. And even abroad, Awesome. usually when they can't figure out what's going on with them, they'll right. say, go, go talk to this woman, see if she can help you. Nice. That's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. And I have physicians as clients and I have physicians who, who are graduates of my class too, all over the world. Wonderful. Yeah. So there, and other medical providers too, nursing professors, nursing, physical therapists, you know, other medical providers among lots of other uh, careers that people have when they're studying this stuff, like you and I, you know, we had other 
interests when we were led to it. And it, it, we just did it because it was interesting to us primarily. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, I'm like living for the day to where it's just merged completely. And it's just yeah. part is taught, you know, taught as part of the curriculum. That's awesome. We're getting there. That's a sign we're getting there. Right. Well, and, and I do a lot of work with families who have a loved one who's dying Mm -hmm. And I can identify how close to death a person is. I, I've coined this 12 phases of transition, which you're listening to in my book. Thank yeah. you for listening to it. And, and there is university-based research that corroborates now and validates everything that I talk about from the spiritual side of the equation. And there's a, uh, an MD PhD named Dr. Chris Kerr, K-E-R-R, -R, that's at Hospice Buffalo. And he studied 1,400 hospice patients who 88% of them report that they see in visions or dreams, their deceased loved ones and, and spirits of deceased pets as they're approaching death. And that's what the 12 phases of transition is all about, how we're surrounded by angels and deceased loved ones and deceased pet spirits. And so it's great when science catches up with woo-woo yeah. is what I told him. <laughs> Definitely. And yeah. you really do go from birth to that, to death. So let's oh, yeah. dive into the death process and share a little bit about those 12 phases of transition. Well, again, we're all spirits attached to a body, having a human experience. And back to my goldfish example, you know, the goldfish is the body inside the water and the water represents the spirit. So the spirit's the main part of us. And I think people have been able to see the spirit since the beginning of time. It's, it's oftentimes a religious figure will be depicted with a halo around their head or around their whole body. That's their energy field. It's their spirit, aura that kind of stuff. It's all the same thing. So when somebody is dying, their spirit, act, it, it separates from the body and it attaches to the top of the head. And it looks like a bubble that you'd see in a cartoon caption where the cartoon characters, words, or thoughts are. And uh, as they progress, deceased loved ones come in the mother energy, the mother spirit, on the maternal line, whoever's the closest maternal spirit to the person who's dying, they run the show from the spirit world, which I thought was fascinating. The first time I saw all of this was when my own mother was dying in 2002. And I, in the middle of it, and, and my family knew I did some kind of woo-woo thing, but they didn't really know what it was, let alone how handy it would be in this situation with my mom. And I was watching all these different phases unfold. And at times I was questioning, am I losing my mind? Am I going through a midlife crisis? I mean, what am I doing here? I know I'm losing my mother, but still, and I've seen it so many times since that, yeah, it's all been corroborated, but, but the female spirit, the closest one on the maternal line. So if the patients, let's say patient, if the person who's dying, if their mother's still alive, it's going to be their maternal grandmother. If she's still alive, it's going to be her mother, the patient's maternal great-grandmother and on, you know, down the line. And they bring in the angels. They bring in the other deceased loved ones, they, the pet spirits, which fascinates me because I, before I saw this for the first time, I thought, well, it's God running it. It's angels that are directing it. It's, you know, what is it? But it's the, the mother spirit, the maternal spirit that is really running the show from the spirit world. And I, I think it's interesting too, Liz, that in many cultures, uh, the Jewish culture is the one that comes to mind. 
a child isn't considered Jewish unless the birth mother is Jewish. Oh, fascinating. So that's why you'll hear if a Gentile woman marries a Jewish man and they want to raise their children Jewish, oftentimes she'll convert. And we'll, we'll, those of us that don't know the inside scoop will say, well, isn't that nice? They're going to raise them in the same religion and the mom can participate. Well, there's a bigger story there. They don't consider the child to be Jewish unless the mother who gives birth to that child is Jewish. So there's something there, you know, throughout history with the maternal line. Yeah. That's- and then as, as the person is progressing towards death in, in phase uh, three, the, the paternal spirit shows up on the maternal side. So again, if the person who's dying, if their dad's still alive, their granddad is going to show up, but it's going to be their maternal grandfather. It's always on the maternal line. And, uh, and then a circle of angels shows up and the parents anchor that circle of angels. And these are big angels with big wings and white gowns and all of that, because that's how I picture angels. 12 years of Catholic schools, that's what I was taught, angels, how they appear, you know, from the statuary and the paintings. Somebody who grows up in an indigenous tribe in the middle of the Amazon may see angel energy as a ball of lime green energy or something, because they don't have the same frame of reference, perhaps, than I do. But what I've found is that spirit's always going to appear in a way that we can make sense of it from our human perspective, so we can recognize who they are, who the spirit is. And then deceased loved ones show up and, uh, and it's not just from this lifetime. That's the thing that's so fascinating. It can be from many, many lifetimes. So it's, it's normal for me to see people dressed in Renaissance clothing. And then, you know, maybe the turn of the, the 20th century clothes that clothing, the late 1800s, early 1900s, and then 1960s. When my mom was dying, there were, there were spirits there that had go-go boots on. And I was thinking, awesome. yeah, and that kind of thing. So that's fun. And then uh, the pet spirits show up as well. And I can always tell if the person who's dying either lives on a farm or maybe perhaps grew up on a farm because they're farm animal spirits that are there. I'll see cows and chicks and ducks and it's wild. That's so, it's fun. so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, in the latter phases, about phase nine, there are, there are two angels that show up midway through the phases that are on either side of the spirit bubble. And by about phase nine, their wings start to move. And it's, it reminds me of a giant owl. It's a very slow rhythmic movement of their wings. And I really thought I'd lost my ever loving mind. When I saw that with my mother, I thought, oh yeah, well, this is even hard for me to really, really believe. But not only did I watch it, they create a vortex above the person's head and there's an upward pull. It's like a suction. It reminds me of Liz driving through the car wash when you stay in the car and you get to the end and they turn the dryers on and it's sucking all the water off off your car. That's what it feels like. And what I realized is that helps the spirit and the body separate. Mm -hmm. And then the spirit goes through this vortex and then the angels escort the spirit to heaven. Interesting side note, when I was writing angelic attendance, just for kicks, I was led to Google giant owl vortex wings. Come to find out there's this thing called the wingtip vortex. 
that everything that flies, every bug, every bird, every plane, every jet, every kite, whatever, that's what creates the lift. And if you Google wingtip vortex, there are tens of thousands, if not more aeronautical engineering drawings and articles and information about the wingtip vortex. And again, science caught up to woo-woo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But the most interesting thing I find with the 12 phases of transition, however, is I believe people have been able to see this since the beginning of time. Because being raised Roman Catholic, of course, I've attended many Catholic funerals. And there's a prayer set at the end of every Catholic funeral called In Paradisum. And it's in Latin. It talks about the angels and your loved ones will greet you and lead you into paradise, which is what I see in the 12 phases of transition. And I researched that and discovered that it was written as a Gregorian chant in the fifth century. So I have to believe that maybe it took that long for somebody to be well-educated enough to write this down. And certainly back then, the most well-educated people were men, oftentimes living in monasteries and synagogues. So I find that fascinating. And I believe that as we've become more well-educated and more proof-based in the past, at least 150 years or so, that we've lost a lot of that, but that people from the beginning of time have been able to see all of this. Yeah. And I love how you describe that in your book. Yeah. It's really fascinating. And I think so too, all the old paintings with the halos around and everything. And I love how you included that in your children's books, Mm -hmm. how the illustrations in there, you gave them auras. Mm-hmm. you know, and such than the description. And they were very sweet, very Thank sweet you. books. Yeah. I recommend it for kids for sure. So let's talk about the angels a little bit more. Okay. Describe the angels and how you interact with them. They are, uh, I see they're big ass angels. They're big angels. They're six to seven feet tall. They've got these white gowns on these big old wings and, uh, Spirit, I find spirit communicates telepathically most of the time. So I'll say something to a spirit or an angel in my head or aloud, and I'll get an answer in my head. And it feels like a thought in my head. How I know it's coming from spirit is it comes in instantly. If I think about it for more than a couple of seconds, that's my brain talking to me. And also the interesting thing about that is there are cultures that have been communicating telepathically since the beginning of time. The Aboriginal cultures in Australia, lots of other cultures that can communicate telepathically. Mm-hmm. And again, as we've become more well-educated, we've discounted that. But all of us come in with the ability to communicate with spirit. We, we come in with the hardware and the software. We've all had situations where we think of somebody and they either call us or we get a text or an email or something in short order afterwards. And we say, Oh, what a coincidence. I was just thinking of you. Well, no coincidence there. You're, you're communicating telepathically. That's what's happening. Yes. I love it. And it's not what everybody thinks that it is, you know, from what they see in the movies, it's not like these long sentences or anything. It's you're thinking pizza. And all of a sudden your child asks you for pizza. (laughs) It's just just like that. And well, in spirit, spirit, you're right about the sentences. Spirit communicates in words and phrases has been my 
experience, perhaps yours as well. And I find that spirits really literal. They're very, they, if you're asking for guidance, you need to be really specific about how you're asking, because for instance, if you say, Hey, Hey, you know, grandma, let's say you have a deceased grandma. Hey grandma, are we going to enjoy the movie? And you get a yes. And it comes in as fast as you can snap your fingers. And you guys are watching some movie tonight. It's atrocious. And you're thinking, what grandma, what's up with that? Whereas she gave you a correct answer. They're always going to give you a correct answer, but it's going to be predicated on how you ask the question, how applicable it's going to be. So she gave you a correct answer because the way you asked the question could pertain to any movie that you watch for the rest of your life. <laughs> Versus if you said, hey, grandma, are we going to enjoy watching Frozen 2 on Disney Plus tonight? See the difference in how you phrase the question. Yeah. So that's how it comes in. And I, I have clients that'll say, okay, well, what does my loved one have? What message do they have for me? And I'll say, well, we got to prime the pump. Let's ask them some questions first. And then they get very chatty and they'll, and then they'll come in with things. Is that what you find as well? Um, I receive information a little bit differently than you do. So it's not as clear. I receive coincidence, synchronicity, symbols, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I'll hear something on a song or get the yeah. right email or flip through a magazine and see it. Or now it's um, social media, like that perfect thing pops up or somebody sends me something. Yeah. Yet communicating, it's like, yes, no, very subtle things, very short things. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and what I've, and I've been doing this for 30 years. So, you know, and I talk to thousands of people a year doing this yeah. stuff. And so I find that for me, uh, all the senses are involved. I, I get, may I tell you a quick fun story yeah. about uh, the sense of smell. I was speaking for giving a talk, a keynote address for one of my companies at a a conference in Austin, Texas, a few years ago. And I, somebody who uh, I knew who used to live there said, Oh, you got to go to this hotel called the Driscoll Hotel because it's historic and all that. So I went and I'm having lunch and I'm reading in their, their little blurb about the history. And they said they, they had a spa at the turn of the 20th century and they would have visiting psychics and healers come. And I thought, Ooh, this is interesting. So anyways, after lunch, I asked the concierge if I could, somebody could give me a tour. And we did. And we were up outside of the ballrooms. This is where LBJ had a suite and he would watch the election returns there and, yeah. you know, all of this in Austin. So I, I thought maybe I'd see LBJ's spirit. I didn't. But we're outside of these ballrooms and I'm smelling cigar smoke. And I thought there is no way these guys, this hotel is going to let somebody smoke a cigar inside period. It's not going to happen. And so I turned my radar on. Well, so here's Colonel Driscoll, who the hotel, who had founded the hotel, he's waltzing through this lobby of these ballrooms. And so I followed him around and we went to these different ballrooms. And my favorite story about this is I went in this one ballroom and it had big gilded mirrors. And the, the guy giving me the tour said, we believe these came from Emperor Maximilian's palace in Mexico City. And there was a cameo of a woman engraved in the wood at the top. And he said, we believe that's his wife, Carlotta. And I, and I got, that's not Carlotta. That's his girlfriend, Lucinda. That's his mistress. <laughs> so I asked the guy and I said, you ever heard of a Lucinda? No, fine. So we finished the tour. I saw several other things. I leave there. I'm going to stop you know, to get a snack or something. 
I meet this woman in the parking lot. She's from the historical society. I said, Oh, I was just at the Driscoll hotel. She said, Oh, you know, it's haunted. I said, yeah, I saw a bunch of stuff. Long story short, she asked me to write an afterword for a book. So I did on the plane on the way home. And when I got back, I researched uh, Emperor Maximilian, Carlotta, Lucinda. There were all these references about Lucinda being his mistress and Carlotta was his wife. And so I pulled in both spirits. I asked Carlotta and Lucinda to come in and they showed up in their ball gowns, their silk ball gowns and their jewels. And I said, who's cameos on those, those mirrors? And Lucinda said, it's mine. It was wild. So it's a, it's just, that's a fun story of all the things that you can do with this. Once you are able to connect with spirit, Yes. even, even meeting this woman who's a publisher and this book had just gone to press and she wants me to write an afterword. So it's published in the afterword of this book on the Driscoll hotel. You can't make that stuff up. That it's too random. Fun. It is. And I love how you get the sense of smell too. I was at a workshop oh, yeah. one time and I'm like, does anybody smell smoke upstairs? You know, nobody's smoking inside or outside or anything right. around. She goes, one of the participants is like, oh, that's my dad. <laughs> you know, he hangs out every now and then. Yeah, it's too fun. And then recently I was um, over at Pearl Harbor touring the museum oh, there and yeah. memorial, and that was interesting and really fantastic. Yeah. I've been there. I took my grandmother there and she was 85 at the time I took her to Hawaii for her 85th birthday. I said, where would you like to go anywhere in the world? She said, I want to go to Hawaii. I said, all right. So we did. And we threw a lay into the bay and you know how they do that. She cried hard when we were there and she told me that she, she, we were in Columbus, Ohio. That's where I grew up. That's where she grew up. And she said, she remembered when Pearl Harbor was bombed. She said it was a warm day in Columbus and they just thought the planes were going to keep coming and come bomb them. I'd never seen her cry that hard. It it was like, it's making me weepy just even thinking about it. It's yeah. 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 I cried my eyes out when I got off the little boat, um, touring it. And then, you know, the spirit is still there. There were a couple, you know, young men on the boat back with us and, you know, I'm help, trying to help a couple pass over, you know, your family's waiting for you on the other side. And the most moving thing I heard was on the way back on the boat, he goes, I'm going home. Aww. Oh my gosh. I lost it when I tried to tell my friend who was with yeah. me. Yeah. 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 Really moving. And the mental you know, the planes coming in just the, cause I get little movies in my head of the, you know, what happened. Too. Right. It was intense. I call those instant replays. Yeah. Like when you're watching a football game and they do an instant replay of the touchdown or whatever the, exactly. whatever the play has been. And it's the same thing you can. And that's, what's so cool when you tap into spirit because time doesn't exist in the spirit world. So you can go back and forward and whatever. The thing though, about future events that I think most people don't understand. And so I try and reiterate this whenever somebody says, well, what's going to happen? I'll say, here's what I'm getting right now, but here's the caveat. Future events are fluid and there are about a bazillion variables that come in that can affect the outcome, your free will, somebody else's free will, global pandemics, whatever. And so what the information is that we get today may be different tomorrow, may be different next week or next month or next year. So true. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. We're all threads in this tapestry and just one different turn or one different decision can shift everything. 
Exactly. Yeah, so true. Yeah. I want to rewind a little bit from what you said about a few minutes ago and um, having the people show up in the room with your mom and some of them in period clothing. So let's go into past lives a little bit and talk about how those impact our current lives. Cause I find that very fascinating. Our past, li- our past lives. Oh, there's so much fun to do too, because the information that we get oftentimes can be corroborated with historical data online, whether it be, and genealogists love past lives because, you know, you give them a few little interesting points and they're off to the races looking at census, uh, records and, and tax records and burial records and things like that. So our spirits all have a frequency that we maintain throughout all of our lifetimes. And our, I, I teach that our heads are like big satellite dishes and they receive and they transmit frequencies. And so every spirit has a frequency. All we have to do is just think of somebody, whether we knew them or not, and their spirit immediately comes in. Who do you want to talk to? A deceased loved one, think of them, boom. You know, Shakespeare, Mother Teresa, whoever, boom, they're right there. And then you can communicate with them. So past lives, what I do, I do it differently, of course, because I got to wipe some of these tears from the Pearl Harbor discussion here. Um, Past lives, I do it differently. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. So of course- I'm going to do things a little differently. I have my own way of doing things. I always laugh. I tell my husband, I would be a terrible employee. I was an employee when I got out of college for a couple of years and then started my first company at 25 because I just am a bad employee. So anyway, I um, envision myself in this endless hallway, really narrow walls, tall ceilings. The The walls are lined with big square mirrors. And they're all lined up perfectly horizontally and vertically. And each mirror represents a different lifetime. Mm. So I'll envision myself in this hallway and we'll ask a question like, does Liv, does Liz have any past lives that in which she was a healer and they're affecting her current life as a healer? And then the mirrors that correlate correspond with that question will come out from the wall as if they're on a hydraulic arm. And then I'll say, and I, and I always ask it that way because I want to see how many lifetimes there have been that are resonating with this question we're asking. And then I'll say, show me the one that correlates the most. And that one will come out the farthest. And then I'll envision myself walking into that mirror. And it's like, I'm watching this scene in my head. Like you had just mentioned, it's as if I've walked into a mini movie. And I'm given what the year was, where it was, what was going on. And then we'll correlate it with what's going on. We'll say, I'll say, okay, you were a shaman in Peru in 1232. And, uh, and then I'll say, how does this resonate with Liz's current life. And I'll get, well, she's been led to do this and she's really interested in shamanism and she's really interested in the tribal uh, elders and what the rituals are and what the history is and, and the history of healing in indigenous tribes. I just made that up, but, (laughs) but that's how it works. And the stories are just endless. May I share one of my favorite ones with you? Yes, please. All right. I have a client who is a flight attendant and she's Italian and she lives in Florida now and she works for an American airline. 
And she said, uh, can we see if I have anything in any past lives that are preventing me from finding a man who's available? She said, I choose these men that aren't available emotionally, or they're married and they want to take me out or whatever. I said, sure. So we asked this, what I got was she was a geisha in the late 1800s in Kyoto, Japan. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, geishas are sponsored by usually a married man who can't be with them, like can't make the geisha their wife. And she gasped when I said you were a geisha in Kyoto, Japan. She gasped. And I thought, okay. And she said, I used to work for ANA Airlines, All Nippon Airlines, which is the Japanese airline. She said, my training was in Kyoto. And she said, when I got there, it felt so familiar. But then she went on to say something even more amazing. And she said, I'm an Italian girl. I never held chopsticks before, let alone tried to eat with them. And she said the first day there, we were in the cafeteria because we were on the lunch break from my training. And I was the only non-Japanese girl in the room. And I picked up a pair of chopsticks and I could use them perfectly. And they were all giving me a hard time saying, you use these better than we do. And we've used them since we were born. What's up with that? And she said, this makes sense to me now how I knew how to do that. So that's just one fun story. And I always say, you can make this stuff up because it's just too, I, I laugh. I think if I could make all this stuff up, I'd be the next JK Rowling and have a billion dollar empire from Harry Potter type books. So uh, too fun. That is amazing. How fun. Yeah. Fun story. <laughs> that's great. Any more fun stories you can share with us? About past lives? Sure. Yeah. Another one, a, uh, a client who's a, a retired CEO of publicly traded companies, big companies, thousands of employees, and he had cancer. And so when I was doing it, his, his energy field membrane repair, it was a past life and it was from the late 1700s and he was a British admiral. And we got his name and we got that he was in charge of the, of the Atlantic fleet. And he was best known for some, there was some battle with the French. And I can't remember if the French were allies or they were battling the French. I can't remember anyway. So what we got was how it, it resonated with his current life was that he was very good at leading and very good at leading lots of people, very good at strategy, very good at all of that. Not so good at receiving and this cancer he had to receive from the doctors and his wife and his caregivers. And he was not used to that. He was used to being the boss, being the big boss mm-hmm. and dealing with wall street and all of that. So when we researched this Admiral, sure enough, all the information was there, his name that he was in charge of the Atlantic fleet. Now I don't know British Naval history. I barely know American Naval history, but all, all, all the stuff that we got was, was corroborated with the online historical data. So the, you know, two very different stories, but happens all the time, all the time. I, uh, another fun story of talking with spirit that's just came to me. So I'll share it if we have time. Definitely. I was working with a, a client whose parents had died in quick succession with each other. And she wow. said, I have their ashes I don't know what to do with them. I, we never talked about what they wanted me to do with them. And so we had both parents on like a conference call, you know, a galactic conference call, the spirits and they're talking to me and I'm talking to the daughter and we're going back and forth. And the spirits said, we want our ashes spread in Yosemite. 
And this girl burst into tears. And I thought, Oh my, have I offended her? And she said, that's where they were married. Oh, and she lived in Kansas or someplace like that. I mean, it wasn't close by, but it was just, that's where they'd been married. And that's where they wanted her to, to spread their ashes. And I think probably as much for the sentimental value as it was for, they wanted her to see Yosemite probably, and that would be a reason for her to go there. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful spirit communication. Thank you for sharing that story, Julie. You bet. I have millions of them. I bet. Yeah. Is there anything else you can share with us about the death process? Is there anything that people going through the death process or that have passed over would like us to know to make our lives better while we're living? Yeah, that it's nothing to be afraid of. And uh, that's how we even wrote the book was I had a spirit show up one day who was uh, dressed as a Pope, a dead Pope with the hat and the whole nine yards on. And I said, well, who are you? And he said, I'm Clement. And I said, I never heard of a Pope Clement. And he said, I was number six. I said, okay, great. Can I help you? And he said, yeah, you're supposed to teach the world what happens when somebody dies. I said, I'm not doing that. I'm a businesswoman. People are going to think I'm nuts. He said, no. He said, that's why you're here. All this experience that you've had has is leading you up to have the ability to do this. And you need to share this with the world. And I'm thinking, there is no way I'm going to put myself out there with this stuff. So long story short, he said, the death process has been so bastardized since the, you know, since we've become more well-educated and he said, people are so afraid of what's going to happen. There's lots of information out there about the afterlife and near death experiences and even how to grieve, but there's not much information about what happens when we're actually dying. You know, are we going to fly? Are we going to fry the whole heaven and hell concept? And so he said, that's you know, you're supposed to do that. So (laughs) Later, a little bit later, I Googled him and learned he was in office during the Black Plague when two thirds of Europe died. And he's best known for his prayers for the dying and his prayers for the dead. And I thought, again, I can't make this stuff up. So he's my main spirit guide. He prods me. He treats me like I'm a Nike ad when I tell him I can't do things. He's just like, yeah, just go do it. (laughs) And, uh, and it's really been an amazing relationship and he's guided me on all of this. And now fast forward when I got enough golden ovary courage, you know, guys have breast balls and girls have golden ovaries. (laughs) I love that. I got enough golden ovary courage to do the book. Uh, my final, my final nudge was I was sitting at church and between my husband and my son, this was several years ago. And the priest from the pulpit said, wouldn't it be nice if somebody could tell us if we're really surrounded by angels and deceased loved ones when we're dying. And I'm thinking, God, really from the pulpit in church, come (laughs) on. So I said, all right, all right. So I did, and now it's used all over the world. It's used in Sunday school classes and churches of all denominations. My church gives a copy of my book to everybody that comes in to plan a funeral. It's used in synagogues. I have Bible study classes and Sunday school classes will email my office and they'll say, we need a hundred copies. Can you give us a deal? I'll say, yeah, sure. So 
So it's really been remarkable how it's unfolded and, and the stories and the emails and the notes I get from people saying, oh my gosh, this has just provided so much comfort. I, I spoke at a, um, at a, uh, group on Tuesday night, I think it was an international group called helping parents heal. Mm. And they have thousands of members and it's parents who've lost a child. And one of the attendees sent me an email afterwards. And she said, thank you for validating what my four-year-old was telling me as he was dying and all the people he was seeing and describing and calling them by name. And she said, you just validated everything he was telling us. And he kept saying, mommy, can't you see them? Can't you see them? And that's what Dr. Kerr's book validates as well. So there's way more going on than what we can perceive with our human senses. Mm -hmm. If there's something, one thing in your book that you would like listeners to know, what would that be? There's nothing to be afraid of in dying. Everybody goes through the 12 stages of transition, the 12 phases of transition, whether they die instantly in the case of a homicide or suicide, or whether they're dying process is prolonged over days, weeks, months, even years. And we're surrounded by angels and our deceased loved ones. And they're they're the welcome to heaven committee. They're there to welcome us. People who are afraid to die, I do this exercise with them, Liz, that is, I call it the walk to heaven. And we do a dress rehearsal of what's going to happen when their body and their spirit separate. And we, we go through this setting sun into this tunnel. It's like a wormhole you hear about in outer space. And we get to the pearly gates, which looks like a big, brilliant plasma wall to me. And I've never seen St. Peter out front with a clipboard saying, yes, you can come in. No, you can't. I've never seen that yet. But we get through this plasma wall and all their deceased loved ones are there waiting for them as soon as they arrive. And that gives people a sense of comfort And then I'll reattach their spirit to their body. I'll reattach my spirit to my body. And in in every instance that I know of that I've done that walk to heaven or one of my graduates has, what happens is that person then can relax and they can go ahead and transition. Yeah. And so there's lots of stories about that, but I find that we're afraid. We're afraid because like Pope Clement said, it's been bastardized, not only Mm -hmm. by cultures and religions and civilizations, but certainly by the movies and books and, you know, all of that, the whole evil spirit thing and all of that is all, you know, it's all fabricated and it's been put in place to control the masses throughout the ages by countries and civilizations and religions. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Sure. I want to go back to um, the feminine side for a second, because I had a near-death experience when I was in the 10th grade. And uh, right before I woke up, it was my grandmother who had passed. You said, it's not time yet. Yeah. And then that's when I woke up. And I find that so fascinating in your book that is the internal side escorts in. And also how um, we go up through the seventh chakra. So it's yeah. that, you know, from Barbara Brennan's work, that collapsing of the chakras as the spirit leaves the body and then leaving through the seventh and that love the image of the angel's wings. And you also mentioned the Kabbalah. Yes. So can you just briefly touch on that for our, you know, sure. Sure. Well, the interesting thing, and you were talking about the feminine, you know, it's what we had mentioned, we had discussed that it's always the, the maternal line 
if you will, the spirit and your grandmother. And uh, in Kabbalah, the left side of the body's the feminine side and the right side's the masculine side. Kabbalah is ancient Jewish mysticism. And I studied that for three years as well. It's very powerful healing techniques. I'd studied that after the Barbara Brennan's uh, concepts. And, and so I think that's fascinating because the maternal spirit's always at the person's left foot, always, always, always on the left side. And it's interesting too, that when they're in, if somebody's in surgery, it's the reverse, the female person, this female spirits at the patient's right foot and the males at the left foot, which is interesting. So it's that, you know, it's that taking charge from a masculine energy in the operating room. I can describe who the spirits are in the operating room. I, I can see real time what the surgeon is working on. Again, there's my frame of reference of being in that industry for 30 years. Mm-hmm. I can read the anesthesia equipment sometimes if I decide I want to, and I can see what their heart rate is and all that kind of stuff. But back to your near death experience, the, the so many near death uh, experiencers talk about going through, going to the light through a tunnel. And I think that would resonate with what I see when the spirit is exiting through the top of the head, that it, it is, is getting the light once it gets through that tunnel and it's going through as those chakras are collapsing. That's a great analogy. So fascinating. Awesome. It's interesting how it all, how it all resonates. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. perhaps just a little different perspective. And, and I think that's why we're all here is we come in to explore and we will find back to past lives. We'll have a basic script of things we want to explore, very generalized. And perhaps in one life, you know, we murder somebody and then the next life we get murdered or in a subsequent life we get murdered. And then we're the mother of the person murdered or the spouse or the friend or the child or the whatever, or the policeman that's arresting them. So we look at it from different perspectives. And then again, remembering that time doesn't exist in the spirit world, a hundred lifetimes of a hundred years, perhaps isn't even a blip on the radar screen in the spirit world. But I equate it to the analogy I use for this, Liz, is think of Shakespeare's Hamlet. How many times has that play been performed? In what locations, but different directors, different actors, different customers, different set designers throughout the years, different perspectives of the same script. And that's what I find that we do in our subsequent lifetimes and in all our past lives. I'll see that certain scripts will repeat throughout multiple lifetimes, like the example of, of the woman, um, you know, who was choosing men that weren't available. There were a lot of those mirrors that represented past lives that came out. So it was the same basic script, just looking at it at a different time, different setting, you know, different gender obviously as well. It's fascinating. It is. Gosh, I could talk all day. (laughs) Is there anything that you would like to leave our listeners with today? Yes. If anybody wants to read angelic attendance or angel messages for kids or angel messages for dogs, I happen to have them here. These are really cute that the illustrations in them are just darling. They're very colorful and they're darling. Just send me an email to go to askjulieryan.com 
and um, click on the Ask Julie button and just say, hey, I heard you on Liz's show. I'd love a copy of your book and we will send you a digital and an audiobook version as a gift. So uh, just askjulieryan.com and mention mention Liz and her show and we'll be delighted to send you a, a copy and, and I hope you enjoy it. Awesome, Julie. Thank you so much for doing it. You're that. welcome. Listen Little gift to your it. listeners. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And if there's one thing that we didn't discuss today that you would like to leave our listeners with, what would that be? Everybody has the ability to do this. We all come in with the ability. It's just a matter of believing the information you get and developing and enhancing it. And everybody can do this. Everybody does do it. We just discount it. But you can, the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. Remember, you can communicate with any spirit. It's going to come in within a second. The more you do it, the more you play with it and ask questions that don't matter. Should I eat this piece of chocolate cake or this piece of vanilla cake? I mean, really in the big scope of life, does it matter? No, but you're going to get an answer. And the more you do that, the more you practice, the more answers you're going to be able to validate the more validation you get the more you're going to trust it and then it's just going to be second nature like it is to you and to me yes so true great advice julie and how can people reach you again askjulieryan.com awesome and they can find you on social media yes everything's at ask julie ryan Ask Julie Ryan, my show is a two-hour call-in show every Thursday night. So people call from all over the world and we do medical stuff. We do pet stuff. We do love life stuff. We do whatever. It's a blast. We have so much fun. And that's distributed anywhere you get podcasts and also on YouTube and Alexa. So everything's under Ask Julie Ryan. Fantastic. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. Great. Lovely having you. Everybody look up Julie and find her. Julie, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for joining me here on Raise the Vibe with Liz. Oh, my pleasure. Sending you lots of love from sweet home, Alabama. Awesome. And thank you everyone for joining us. And again, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Raise the Vibe with Liz and my website at Liz's Healing Touch. Have a great day, everybody. And remember to get out there and raise the vibe. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's show on Raise the Vibe with Liz. If you like this content and want to support me, please go to Patreon at Raise the Vibe with Liz or click the link in the description of this show. And remember, change starts with you. So get out there and raise the vibe. Thank you, everyone.